Welcome to Learning Through Math, the podcast. I'm Laura at I Teach the Why. I'm Karina at Mrs. Cousins 5. Our mission is to inspire ourselves and others to keep learning and improving with passion. And hugs. You can find us at learningthroughmath.com and on Twitter at Laura and Karina. Come and join us on this journey of learning. Thanks for joining us. We are recording this part in January of 2024 and happy new year to you, Karina, and to all of our listeners. Happy new year. I know, 2024. Wow. Wow. Anyway, and welcome to episode 126, a conversation with Mandy Jansen. Okay. First, we want to give a shout out to our book club members. We had a quick, short fall slash winter book club this time, and we yes. read Productive Math Struggle. Yes. And um, I just want to say thank you for real to all of you who attended. And Karina, for some reason, our third meeting, I forgot to ask the, the question of how many years everybody had oh, yes. taught, but I have yes. stats for the other ones. Okay. All right. Go for it. We only met four times and I asked everybody what year is this for you teaching? And then I took the averages. Okay. The first yes. meeting we had was the average year teaching was 23. Wow. The second one was 22. The third wow. one, I don't know yet. I'll reach out to the two people I forgot to ask because I have everyone else's. But our last one, which was on December 30th, 2023, yeah. the average teaching experience, 26 years. Wow. What? Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is. Thank wow. God we're all still learning. Yeah. For real. Okay. I have a reflection. Is it sad that the average oh. was longer than what I've been teaching for? <laughs> no, it's it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It is because you'll get there. Yeah. You you yeah. will become one of those. No, I know. To I raise just, the average. <laughs> I just think, right. I, I, I Do I wish that there were more? Younger? Yeah. Teachers? Not, and I don't mean young as in young, but. But like. In, in the their, field, in their infancy of teaching. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just excited right? that there's still people, you know, that uh, still want to learn. But you're right, a hundred percent right. We need new blood, mm-hmm. new to the teaching field. Yeah. Well, they but they leave. I think that that's the issue. I yeah. think that I think that that's what's happening is that they're not staying in the profession. I mean, I remember reading years ago, like the average span Mm -hmm. was five years for a new teacher, but I think now Mm -hmm. it's like three. Yeah. I don't know. I'm gonna have to do some more research on that. Yeah. And for like the rest of us, it's really, well, we're already in it. So now it's almost like if I change careers, it's, it's not that it's too late, but that it's, it's, it's such a new I don't know. It would be, it would be more, it's just easier. You're, you're used to it. You know what to do. You're more comfortable. Maybe is it a comfort level that people haven't quit? I don't know. I just, cause I, I know we've all thought of it. We've all oh, thought of it. Like <laughs> we have every day. all been there. We've all thought every day. Why am I doing this every day? 
but I don't know what else. I mean, this is what I meant. Yeah. I was meant to do. I knew since I was seven right. that I right. wanted to be a teacher. This is not what I signed up for. Not what Correct. we're going through now. Heck no. Correct. Yeah. But all right, I'm going to go to my okay. reflection, which right, I shared with you when we recorded this episode in November, believe it or not. And I said, I'm going to write this down. And thank God I wrote it down because I totally would have forgotten. I dreamt that you and I opened a restaurant. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I do remember you saying, you telling me about that. Yeah. And yes. I, I don't remember the details now at all. However, you did say, oh, if we did that, we could host our book club there. Yes. <laughs> For real, like in yes. real life, you said that. And then our different tables could be, could be different. Um, I don't know, different like equations and people would have to solve them or like the special of the day. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh my, well, I guess that that's our other job then, huh? Open. I don't think I have it in me to open a restaurant though. Yeah, I don't think so either. That's a lot. That's a lot. Thank God we have people that have restaurants. Otherwise I'd starve to death, but um <laughs> But it would be fun. And, and you know what? Back, oh gosh, pre-COVID, and I'm talking like probably 2016, 2017, 2018, those summers, our local math council, PBCCTM, we would do math games at restaurants. Mm -hmm. So like one summer we jumped oh, yeah, to, we could to do Iwana that. Flats. And mm -hmm. yeah, so let's just do some math, fun math at a restaurant that's already established. How's that? Okay. All right. Well, we did that. We have done that. We yes. brought manipulatives to base 10 blocks. Remember when we had breakfast, we had like Oh yeah. Brunch. You and me. Yes. Yes. We, yeah. gosh, so we were I, there it, for like two hours, weren't we? I know in our own little restaurant, we could have, we could have like manipulatives <laughs> at each table. Or we just bring them to a restaurant and take them home. Yeah. In your imagination, in your imaginary restaurant that we've created. That's like the, the one in my dream. Yeah. Just like your school. So there you go. Yeah. When you build, when you win the lottery and you build your own school, you can do a restaurant that's also right next door. Oh my gosh. That would be awesome. <laughs> there you go. We could just have like a whole community. <laughs> Math fill. <laughs> We got no, we need to come up with something more creative than Mathville. <laughs> Listeners, you tell us what, what uh we could do. But yeah, how much fun would that be? It would be. It would oh be. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. Do you have a reflection or good news? I mean, I'm just happy right now. We're still at we're coming to the end now of our uh holiday, but I'm just happy that uh we got to get away december was a long 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 month of testing and it yep. was not fun no. so i'm hoping that there can be a little bit more fun in january that is my hope that is my wish so i'm going to um, see if i can make that happen i i think we both need to make that happen so first <laughs> yes. of all my good news is that Karina and I finally saw each other and hugged each other in real life yesterday for yes. the first time in like a year. And I yeah. finally gave her the bag 
that I got at the BTC conference in June that I had Peter sign for her. I gave it to her. Yes. So cool. <laughs> oh my God. I'm obsessed. I love it. It's my new favorite bag. Okay. And then I'm going to share some news. Yes. Go ahead. At, at the time of this dropping, I will have been back in the classroom um, teaching fifth grade. I'd say for two weeks, but not really, because I'm taking the fifth graders on the Washington, D.C. safety patrol trip. So, I mean, technically, my role will be for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. But I won't actually be there for the whole two weeks, but most of the two weeks. So that's a very long story. However, mm-hmm. just going to let everybody know that because of circumstances that have happened, I am a fifth grade teacher again, probably for the rest of the school year. Mm-hmm. Year 32. Woohoo! And, and actually, the good news from all of that is I get to do BTC. I get to do number routines. I, I just get to do all the things that I've been coaching people to do. Right. And I get to experience them full time yeah. with two groups of students because it's semi-departmentalized. Right. And I think the part that makes you sad is that you just don't get to do the job that you love, which is coaching right. and helping and, you know. And all of those So things. that, that yes. Yeah, so that part is the unfortunate part, but, um, but going back into the classroom is, you know, always, you know, you'll, you'll I, see lots of great things. You'll get to do course. lots of great things. We're going to have great conversations because we'll have so many things to share. <laughs> yes, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's I, not, I, it's a change. I, and I did this, I was a fifth grade math teacher of record for one class, the 2019, yeah. 2020 school year. Right. So it's, it's not like it was very far removed. Um, I mean, I, but it's all of the things now. It's not just yeah. like, uh, you're going to have to teach me how to take attendance on CIS because I don't know how to do that. I oh. I stepped out of the classroom before CIS right. was right. in there. And then when I had those. And progress reports yeah. and report cards it's- and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You and I all have some tutorial sessions. So thanks in advance. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> All right, listeners, we have an amazing episode coming up for you. We recorded this with Mandy back in November of 2023. And now here's a conversation with Mandy Jansen. Listeners, here we are. We have the incredible Mandy Jansen with us right now. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Laura. Hi, Karina. It's so nice to spend time with you. The last time we were together, I visited your book club, which was such a treat. Yes. yes. Well, and it was with your book. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, we were together. I saw Laura at NCTM and NCSM. I don't think I got to. Karina, were you? No, there? I wasn't there. No, I didn't think so. Yeah. So anyway, it's nice to have this reunion. I know. So exciting. Okay, for listeners that don't know who you are, Mandy, tell everybody all about you. Oh, thanks for asking. So. My name is Mandy Jansen, and I am a professor of math education at the University of Delaware. But before I was a professor, I was a middle school math teacher in the Phoenix area in Arizona. 
And then I lived in Michigan for five years where I went to graduate school. But I've been in Delaware. This is my 20th year. And what I do is I teach future teachers, future elementary and middle school math teachers. And I work with doctoral students to support them learning to become researchers. And I have the fortunate opportunity of getting to work with a lot of in-service teachers, practicing teachers in Delaware, where we collaborate and work together to improve our teaching. So I have a really awesome job. You do. Okay, and yeah. you're an author. Can you plug your book, please? <laughs> yeah, sure. So the book only exists, like I say, I have an awesome job because teachers are so open with me about um, opening their practice. And so that means I get to keep learning because people are open with me. And so one of the um, projects that's accumulated from working with teachers is a book that I wrote called Rough Draft Math, Revising to Learn. And it represents all of the ideas up to a point that I learned from teachers when they think about what if we took the idea of drafting and revising like we use in writing and in language arts, what if we thought about that in a math classroom? And what would we do differently if we thought about learning and teaching math as a process of drafting and revising? So I look at the book that came out of this as an accumulation and curation of teachers' different ideas because drafting and revising, it's its a concept, but people have applied it in different ways to the math classroom. And I thought I was done writing about this when I wrote an article that came out in math teaching in the middle school in 2016 that resulted from a teacher study group that I did with secondary math teachers in Delaware. And I thought, okay, that was fun. We learned some things. We wrote an article. We were done. <laughs> But people were so curious about rough drafts in math class that I had the opportunity to meet with and talk with different folks around the country. And um, I just kept learning because people kept sharing what the idea meant to them and what they did. So it did turn out that it is a rich concept and turned into something that accumulated into a book. But um, it really, I think the idea belongs to anyone who tries it out and uses it. And I sort of view myself as a vehicle for sharing what people have shared with me. And I can't tell you how many times the words revise your thinking have come out of my mouth, probably since, well, definitely since reading the book, but following you on, on social media and everything. So thank you for that opportunity. Yeah. And that way I get to share with not only the students that I work with, but the teachers that I work with. And that way it does the ripple effect, right? I would hope so. I, that's really lovely. Thank you for sharing that. What's really interesting to me about that when you talk about revising is that when I first entered into this work with teachers, it was really about how do we create a safe space where students feel welcome to share their thinking before they're really sure if they're right. So it started in the space of rough drafts are welcome. And I intellectually remained in that space for a long time. And it was talking with teachers who said, well, if we're eliciting drafts, they need to revise, right? And it took me longer to recognize the power of revision. But now I'm really obsessed with revising because I think that communicates a lot to students about um, what it means to enact having a growth mindset, what it means to enact productive struggle. Um, honoring that learning takes time for everyone, 
you know, continuing to challenge ourselves to grow. So now revision is the thing that I'm super excited about and really feels like the unique part because a lot of people work hard to create that kind of safe space already. There's a lot of wisdom around that in math education that I, you know, that I value that I don't feel like, like we have some ideas about that, the teachers that I've collaborated with, but I think it's the revision space that's the unique contribution. And I didn't realize that at first. So my own thinking has grown and revised too, because that's just a human thing that we do. <laughs> yeah. When we create that safe space, one of the things that really resonated with me from your book was, and I know that that wasn't originally your idea, but the rights of the learner was just something that I just love. And the very first one is, I think, my favorite one, the right to be confused, because I think it it just blows kids' minds. Like so many times they'll sit there and be like, oh, I'm so confused. And I'm like, that's so great. And they look at me like, why are you so excited that I'm, you want me to be confused? And I said, yes, yeah, I do. Because then you can get through it, right? You have to be confused before you can learn something. So those rights of the learner, I think are just so powerful. And I just, I love them so much. And it wasn't until your book, I think that I really saw them and got an explanation and learned about them. Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, the rights of the learner come from Olga Torres, who is a retired elementary teacher now in, from Tucson, Arizona. And my friend Crystal Kalenic Craig in San Antonio was the one who introduced me to the rights of the learner. And I just think they're brilliant, like you yeah. said. Uh, this notion of when we're confused, we are on the precipice of a big discovery. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing and a terrifying thing because you're not sure that you're going to cross that threshold and it doesn't necessarily feel fun to be confused, but we have that right. And at NCTM in, in DC, when I was looking at the schedule of things to do, one of my top priority sessions was Olga Torres and Rights of the Learner and just sitting in that space with her, doing math with her, seeing how she truly lives it out, um, giving us our rights and really honoring and respecting them really, really dialed home for me that it's one thing to tell people they have these rights, but the mm -hmm. other, what does it take to have them come to life to actually believe you? And it's in how we interact with people when they are confused, when they are um, revising their thinking and and when we honor that and really take people's thinking seriously when it's in progress, they're really experiencing the right. And that's, I think, a place where, you know, I'm always striving to be authentic in how I interact with people and not quite <laughs> getting there yet, still working on that. And um, that's what Olga's session really push me to think about what does it mean to help someone really feel like their rights are being honored and what can we do in our interactions to make sure each other's rights are being honored too. Mm. Okay. First of all, I didn't even know she was there. Right? And second of all, I didn't know she was the, the author of the rights of the learner. There were over a hundred sessions that I, I went through the book and wanted to attend. And I just, I mean, you can't, go to all of them but now i'm upset that i missed that <laughs> so I'll, I'll make sure if no i'm going next year i'll make we sure can just, that we can just trade schedules and you're gonna there have you, go. you both will have sessions that i missed and so on um crystal craig has written a lot about the rights of the learner and amplified olga's 
um, ideas. And that's how I knew about the session was that Crystal let me know. And so I was very excited. There's just the beauty of NCTM is that there's so much going on, but the challenge is that there's so much going on. Right. <laughs> yes. And to process everything. Yes. It's crazy. I, I still haven't processed everything. I mean, Karina doesn't even know about any of the sessions I went to, including yours. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. And so that's why I was really excited about um, Courtney and Ryan's podcast when they were reflecting at night and then sharing their posts immediately or their um, podcast episodes the next day. I would listen to it on my walk to the conference and think, okay, this is helping me process because I hadn't had time to reflect. So yeah, um, it's lovely that you all create these spaces, like these podcast interactions. And funny, you mentioned Courtney and Ryan, because I just recorded with Courtney the other day, and it's supposed to come out, I think this weekend. Um, she wanted to process with me. So I went through three of the sessions that I attended. So I was going to tell Karina, just listen to that one and yeah. you'll get You'll get three sessions worth of information. That's great. Um, I, I have a question for you. Do, do you have another book in you? <laughs> well, I didn't think I had this one in me. So <laughs> it's hard to know. Uh, a big part of my job is writing. I love to write. And I was actually, so fun fact, I was actually certified as a language arts teacher as well as a math teacher. And I had a section of language arts when I was a student teacher. So I always wanted a career that could combine math and writing and yay, I have one now. Um, so I, my writing lately has been really focused on article sized ideas that often for the research community, but sometimes in the NCTM research journal. And I write articles and I write it more at that grain size first. And like I did the article for Rough Draft Math, it's called Rough Draft Talk. And then if the ideas keep ballooning, then maybe they could be a book. I have a book that I published in 2011 called Motivation Matters and Interest Counts. I co-authored that with Jim Middleton at Arizona State University, and that was published by NCTM. I yeah. will definitely put that in the show notes. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So Rough Draft Math is my second book, but it's my first solo authored book, but it's not really solo authored in my heart because Tracy Zager was my editor. And one thing that's really um, kind of behind the scenes when you write books is that your editor, if, you know, in my experience, my editor, she read chapters a bunch of times and I would revise and revise and revise. And I think anything that's readable from this book is because Tracy Zager is an amazing editor. She taught me a lot about um, adopting and enacting a voice that is more conversational because as a researcher, you don't write as conversationally. Right. And that's, it's, a, it's appropriate to have a different, different voice depending on who your audience is. So she would give me really helpful advice of more of this and less of that. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and it was brilliant. So that's a long answer to say. Not that I know of, but I can't say no. Okay. Another book. So Yeah, I was actually going to compliment you on the book because I feel like it was an easy read. It was something that what like it did sound like 
like what you, when you were describing what you do every day, it sounded like that. It sounded just like conversations and Laura and I are all about conversations, but just a conversation with a bunch of people that you've worked with, worked side by side with and, and grown this idea. So it was an easy read, but it was, it was so full of gems, you know, like so many times did I stop and like, I I'm, I'm on page 102 right now and I highlighted play with purpose. And I don't know if that's where I got lately, this idea of play with your numbers, play with your, play with the math, you know, and that's what I told uh, my students the other day. I, I want you to play with these numbers. Like this is the time to, to play with them and see what happens and be brave and try different things. Um, so so yes, it's it's very impactful and it's definitely worth the read. It was it was great. That's a huge compliment. Thank you so much, Karina. Um, yeah, again, Tracy is. Um, I felt like I could trust her so much as an editor because I really love her book. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so thanks to Tracy for that for sure. <laughs> You have in throughout your book, you have a lot of, I don't know if we want to call them methods or ideas or or strategies or, you know, like, like, for instance, like the create, justify or refute a claim. You have these different tasks or things that we, you can do to try out talking points, protocols, you know, like different things throughout the book, suggestions of how to kind of create an environment where kids can use rough draft thinking? Is there one that's your go-to that you always use or suggest teachers can start with? That's a great question. Um, So one thing that I think about when I think about getting started with drafting and revising is it's actually um, physical in the sense of having... So I know that there's a lot of different ways you could connect things like building thinking classrooms to this work and so forth. But I'm going to talk about if someone doesn't have whiteboards all over their room, what they might be doing, because there are some teachers who don't. So I think it's physical in the sense of having a student get up and go to a document camera. I don't know how to teach math without a document camera. (laughs) And so if you have a student go up to the document camera, then the student's leading the conversation about the drafts. And then the job of the people in the room is first, just to make sure we understand what they're talking about, not like having an opinion about what's correct or not. And so what does it take to try to understand each other? What sentence starters do you need to make sure and having people check in some norms for that? But then, and then you would wanna comment on what makes sense to you um, what do you appreciate? You could put, what do you notice, wonder, and appreciate mm-hmm. what makes sense? But adding in that, what do you appreciate seems really important because that's a strengths-based orientation to someone's thinking. And if you have to notice something that you appreciate, you're also making sense out of it, by the way, in the same time. And so then in that process of talking about what makes sense and what you appreciate, then pause and write something else down. Like, what did you get out of this conversation? And so in that moment of writing something down of what you came to understand through listening to someone's thinking, that's actually a revision moment. And it doesn't take that long to just, I mean, you're having that conversation anyway, probably about each other's thinking, but reflecting right then in that moment of what are you thinking about now after this conversation? So I would say, Take what you're doing already Mm -hmm. 
But what can you do to say now document how your thinking changed? Whether mm. it's a consolidation moment about walking around the room and making sure you understand people's thinking on the whiteboards, but that consolidation moment can also be a revision moment. So taking these taking these times where you're being really explicit about what are you getting out of this? What did you learn? How did your thinking evolve and change? And in ways that are connected to other people's thinking in the room. And if you have a little bit more time, you can talk about it. So you could say things like, oh, Karina, I didn't realize that those words on that page um, could help you think about those things. That was actually meaningful to me too. That helped my thinking continue to grow. And then when you point out how someone else is thinking, helped your thinking grow, that builds this community of, oh, mm. wow, I didn't know my thinking could be helpful to other people. So that's another kind of recognizing strengths in each other. So people have said to me, I don't have time to do drafting and revising. And I kind of think it's happening already because it's more like a describing how we learn. We try things out and we keep evolving in our thinking. So I think it's uh, being explicit and having a time to document. I, I also don't know how to teach very much now without journals because I mm -hmm. think we need to keep track about how our thinking is growing and changing because there's a thing about understanding that once we understand something, we kind of forget that we ever didn't know that thing. So the journals help us look back and think, oh my gosh, wow, my thinking has evolved, I have changed, I have grown, and it's not necessarily linear either. And you can really, I think it's important to look back and celebrate how we've grown. I love everything that you just yes. said. And I think I want everyone in my school to listen to that because it's that can quote replace their exit ticket, right? It's not yes. like it, a kid has to do, here's a new problem, go do this. Yeah. It can be everything of what you just talked about. So thank you. Absolutely. Yes. That's huge for me. Um, the end of class can be, I used to think and now I think. Mm -hmm. How did your thinking evolve today? What do you want to remember out of this lesson? And that's always information for me when it's really open-ended like that because people are going to think about all kinds of stuff. And I would rather know. Right. <laughs> because we can kind of we can kind of think like oh i don't want people's thinking to be all over the place it is anyway we're human beings yeah so i'd rather kind of know the range of things that people are processing and i do that at the end of my sessions when i present same and, thing yeah and it's never um it's never i don't have a like a funneled i need people to say this one thing i'm always finding it fascinating the connections that people are making because we connect to things based on whatever we're currently thinking on and working on in our lives. And so I love to know that, but yeah, it could be the exit ticket for sure. Yeah. Um, Karina, I know we, before we recorded maybe last week, you said there was one specific question you wanted to ask Mandy. Do you remember what yeah. that was? Yes. I think you mentioned it. It must've been in the book club that you wish that you could go back and change the name of rough draft oh right yes <laughs> so okay when you as adults we're pretty safe with the term rough draft usually we're like oh yeah it's where i try and then i can keep revising i think students have some experiences with rough drafts where 
Like when some teachers have asked the students to brainstorm in math class, well, what's a rough draft? They'll say things like, oh, that's my bad version. Mm. Or that's the one that's kind of messed up and needs to be fixed. That's not how I think about it at all. I just think like, it's just your early ideas. So some teachers have said, I don't really call this rough drafts. I call it my first thinking or my initial thinking. And uh, that is interesting because if rough draft has sort of a judgment associated with it, your first thinking, your initial thinking is actually really close to what it is. Mm -hmm. And if, if you view rough draft as kind of a judgment, who gets to decide who's a rough draft and who's further along? And then, and then it's more like a continuum where you're judging people. But if it's more about timing, like my initial thoughts, yeah, those can have strengths and those can be improved. I, my thinking is always growing and changing. Even things that I think are my final draft end up not being final. So I think... I think I don't, I don't mind that it's called rough draft because it's like an angle into it. But right. after a while, you can start changing it and say you're first thinking, your initial thinking. I, I like love that. that. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know, this is why I feel so fortunate that people are willing to engage in dialogue with me about this because, again, I wouldn't have come up with that. And so right. um, we're, all, we're all a community of teachers in this country who are trying to improve teaching, just like we would create a math community of students who are trying to grow in their math thinking. Oh, and by the way, we're growing in our math thinking too. But, right, so we're always trying to grow in how we think about improving teaching. That's one reason why I love your podcast, because you're just, it's so smart that you're putting people together to keep thinking together. And it's, yeah, this is how we learn. Mm -hmm. We're better together, as Absolutely. Laura says. Yeah. <laughs> We're better together. <laughs> love that. Um, what is your favorite course to teach? Oh, wow. Well, will you, will you two both answer this question too? This is great. So I'm one of those people that whatever I'm teaching now is the thing I love the most. Okay. <laughs> so that feels like trying to get out of your question. So I'm going to talk about a course I love to teach and why I love to teach it. Uh, I teach a course that's a math class for future elementary teachers. So is it a, a methods class? This is like actually math. Like it's called Math 252. I have a joint appointment in our math department and it's in our math department and the future elementary teachers take it as freshmen or sophomores. Yeah. Okay, I'm jealous, first of all. Okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> and get this, it is all rational numbers and proportional reasoning all semester. It's awesome. Wow. Yeah, I, so- I need, we, I need to take this course. <laughs> yes, same. <laughs> well, yeah, I tell uh, my undergrads, you're knowing more about fractions now than I did when I was a seventh grade math teacher, which isn't great, but they're going to be much more prepared than I was. So I learned a lot through working on the course. It's yeah, it's amazing because we have folks who come in like they know how to calculate. They got into mm -hmm. college, but just to be a part of someone's experience where they're having these insights of, yes. oh, that's what that means. And then once they learn some ideas around, we really base it on the measurement model of rational number where um, the unit fraction tells you the size of the piece and the numerator tells you the number of pieces. And once you start to conceptualize fractions in that way, a lot of other ideas around operations start to come together and make different kind of sense. 
a lot of visual diagramming to show those structural and conceptual relationships. Uh, it's just really amazing to be a part of someone's experience where they're making sense out of all of that. And then I've had opportunities where I've done research where I visit graduates of our program who are in classroom teachers and seeing them interact with such uh, facility and depth with their own students around the same concepts has been wonderful to see. So that course is very rewarding and also just intellectually fun. I would never get bored of teaching that domain. Uh, can I audit this? Like, how, how do I? <laughs> I'm sure you would teach a brilliant version of the course too, Laura. No, 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 no. Because I, and you know, I've been saying this on the podcast that in Florida to teach the accelerated math class in elementary school, which I'm not a teacher of record right now, but you have to be certified either five, nine math or six, 12 math. And I have not taken the test yet because I have not, I, I don't feel like I know that math well enough yet to pass the test. And I, no, like for yeah. real, like I am, I, I'm not kidding. I understand. I feel fortunate because I, so another reason why I love teaching this class is that this course was developed in community with doctoral students and faculty at my university over years with a lesson study model, with a really in-depth lesson plan for every um, course that we keep developing these over time. And all the lesson plans have things like anticipated student solutions to the tasks and um, clear learning goals and rationales for why these um, interactive experiences could support achieving that learning goal. And um, my own math knowledge for teaching grew so much for working in this context of lesson study and shared lesson plans and studying students thinking. And, and we've redeveloped the class together in these ways all of the time too. And so I need that kind of environment to grow my own math knowledge for teaching as well. And so, um, yeah my first few times teaching the class, I was still growing in my own, I, I mean, still I'm growing, but at a more rapid rate because of the structure that we have. So that's another reason why I like teaching the class. And then another reason why I love teaching the class is it's sort of an incubator for me when I learn about amazing ideas about pedagogy or math for teaching or things like that, I can pilot them and try them out myself. I'm currently teaching math too, and the last chapter of my book is chapter six is all about me working those ideas about rough drafting and revising into my own class, initially feeling like an imposter. I fell short. I wasn't able to do all of these things that I just was writing about. But then that was very useful for me because when I was studying my students' experiences, even though I didn't do all the things, they reported um, positive experiences and taking away the value of drafts and revising. And so I thought it was important to write about that because I didn't want people to feel like if they weren't doing all the things, they weren't like abiding by the ideas in the book. I really wanted to open up that just do something and it would be better right. than not doing yeah. something. <laughs> and just also being honest, right? Like I'm doing this too and it's hard and messy. And anyway, I love teaching that class, but I also get to teach amazing classes like I have a pedagogy class, a methods class this semester for future middle school teachers. And we'll do things together like plan a routine for reasoning from uh, Amy Lucenta and Grace mm -hmm. um, 
Kalamanic and um, we will rehearse them in class in the university and then they will go work on them with their students. And um, we did a three act math class, math tasks that we planned and then they did with their students. And uh, we see things like their clinical educators getting excited about trying out the ideas too and trying different ways of getting their students to interact. And um, it's a community where a lot of folks already value things like building thinking classrooms. So it's a space where they can try out those ideas too. So that is awesome. You, do you understand the effect you have? Uh, like, like, I don't, I don't know if you do. Like, I don't think she does. You, you just said, you know, you're doing this with your students and then they're doing it with their clin ed teachers. Mm -hmm. And then from there, when, when they leave as student teachers, the clin ed teachers, and then all of those students that get affected, like, wow. Well, okay, thank you. But also <laughs> I'm impacted too, because when the middle school math teacher candidates come back and they share how things go in their school, I'm also learning from them. I need to learn things like reality check. I'm at the university and that's not the same as teaching seventh grade you know, post-lockdown world. Yeah, and um, right. I do feel fortunate to be a part of people's careers, but I, I also learned so much too. So I feel like I'm where I need to be. Yeah. Okay. For this, sure. I have a question, but I don't know. I don't know if we'll include it. I might just cut this out. Depends on how you feel about it because I'm kind of putting you on the spot. But one thing that I've okay. been trying to wrap my head around, uh, because of course, you know, we learned just by memorizing. And one thing that we just memorized was that a negative times a negative is a positive. And mm. one thing that my brain, you know, in fifth grade land, we use a lot of area, but you can't, I don't think, show a negative times a negative using area. Can you? <laughs> uh, I, I have limited knowledge about different things and um, I don't know how to think about that using area, but I'm sure we can ask some of our listeners <laughs> to write in that too. But or, I don't or, or how do you, yeah, how do you teach area a negative times quite. a negative? Right. Because what would yeah. be a negative area? Right. What I would don't, be a negative length? I would love to hear people's concepts about how they might use area with negative times negative because I don't really, I'm more of a pattern girl, like mm. starting with negative times a positive and then going down past time zero to then see uh. how the pattern transitions. But that's what makes sense for me. And that's not always what makes sense for other people, but yeah, um, multiplying and dividing with negatives is, is a rough one for me. Yeah. You know who I'm going to reach out to? And I don't know if she listens, but I'm gonna tag her and ask her: Is Fawn Win because she does yeah, visual Fawn patterns? Win. Yeah, yeah. I definitely cool. Yeah, so this is just—I mean, it's—it's it's obviously it's not something I teach, but it's something that you, you know, know as I go through right as I go through my own uh, learning and gaps in my own learning. I mean, that's definitely a gap. I mean, we were just told just memorize a negative times a negative is a positive. Like that's all you yeah. need to know. Um, and there has to be some sense there somewhere, but I don't know what that is. You know, maybe it's just a different representation of multiplication because, you know, multiplication can mean different things. It can mean 
uh, area. It can mean part of, it can be, you know, like all yeah, these different, and- yeah. Um, things that multiplication can be. So maybe it's just, it can't be represented as an area. It has to be represented some other way. I don't know. Anyway, just things that I was wondering about. I just found a Dan Meyer blog post where he reflected with people about this Ah. 10 years ago. Thank you, Dan, for keeping your blog open. Right. So anyway, we could read that and talk about it. I just. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yes, please. Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to look up and do some more research on it. Thank you. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Tag me in everything you find. Okay, great. (laughs) We should keep tweeting about it. Yes. Yes. I love that curiosity. Thank you. Thanks for for being open to discussing it. Exactly. Do we have anything else? Any last things, Mandy, Uh, that you want to? You want to share with us? Well, thank you um, for inviting me to your book club when you talked about chapter three. Um, we we talked about tasks that create opportunities for reasoning, explaining, drafting. And I was able to share with folks in that group that day that that was a chapter that almost didn't exist yeah. <laughs> because I just had so many implicit ideas about how our math tasks can impact whether there's a lot to draft and revise or not. And uh, writing that chapter was really helpful for me because I was able to take some implicit ideas and make them explicit. So it was really lovely to meet with folks about that. And I really appreciate how you create communities where you're reading books together because you're able to bring people together from around the country and think with them about maybe a book you were already interested in reading anyway. And it was really clear to me when I was at Um, in DC for NCTM and NCSM, how you all have such a great connection with each other from your book club communities that even though you're not in person all the time, it really feels like there's bonds that you have with people. So you're doing such amazing work to create lovely intellectual communities. Thank you. Oh my goodness. (laughs) High praise. Oh my gosh. I think I'm blushing over here. Thank you. And because it is totally selfish, right? (laughs) Like I have had your book on my TBR for such a long time. And I was like, Laura, we've just got to put it in our book club so that we, it like forces us to read it. And then, yeah. We all need accountability to do things that matter to us. So it gives you that structure. So it's really smart that you do that. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, Mandy. We appreciate you and everything that you do. And uh, yes. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. I think again, we're all learning in community together. So it's a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you. That was so wonderful. Mandy had such nice things to say about us, Laura. I know. <laughs> I can't. I, I'm so honored and touched of everything that she had to say. I mean, us building a community of math teachers that is supportive and, and helps each other grow. I mean, it was, it was just so touching. So thank you again, Mandy, for that. That was so very sweet of you. Um and anytime so awesome. you want to come back and join us uh, in a book club, come on in. You know? That's right. Um, the more the we'll merrier. Just, we'll just be waiting for your next book to. Yes. yes. <laughs> or maybe the second, the second edition of Rough Draft Math, right? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Listeners, our challenge for you this week is 
What are your rough draft thoughts about a topic that you're interested in? Mm, mm. I can't wait to see people's responses for that. Yes. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. We invite you to join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag learning through math. We'd love to hear your feedback. Make sure to tag us at Laura and Karina. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. To you too.